God is so amazing. Normally you wouldn't see me in tennis shoes and a t-shirt, and it's not because it's hot. It's because of the significance of the shoes. I actually asked Mark, I texted him, you mind if I wear tennis shoes? I didn't say nothing about a t-shirt. I figure if he said yes on the tennis shoes, I would be okay with the t-shirt. And I brought a dress shirt just in case. Just in case he was like, no, you better put a dress shirt on. Try giving me a suit jacket, then I have to rip it like the Incredible Hawk, you know? <laughs> but no, the tennis shoes, they're Michael Jordans. And the significance of them is not that I got them on clearance, which is amazing. I grew up very, very poor, so for my dad to buy us new stuff would have been, he didn't have the money, especially for Jordans at this time, because he was a single parent at that time, just raising me and my brother, and he said, we're going to go to look at garage sales to see if we can get you some shoes, because all I had was some sandals, it was summertime, and we came across the garage sale, and they had these shoes but in my size as a kid for $2. When they first came out, they were still like 145 bucks <laughs> back then, but they were like brand new. Nobody ever wore them. And I loved those shoes. I had them probably for about three weeks. My dad had saved up money to take us to Cedar Point, which is an amusement park. And me and my brother, Sean, we were gonna go down this ride called Snake River Falls. I don't even know if it's still there, but I didn't wanna get these shoes wet because I like these shoes they were like to me they were the nicest shoes I've seen and I liked them that much so I took them off well when I came off that ride they weren't there and I was so disappointed as a kid you know you imagine 10 11 years old well me and Heather are shopping yesterday and we see these shoes on a clearance rack and even now they're still like 175 dollars they were 43 bucks and I got them, I said, man, I really, really like these shoes. And I got them, and I took them home, and I took them out of the bag, and I was going to go set them on my shoe rack, and the Lord brought that back to me. And I seen it in my mind, and I thought, no, these can't be the same shoes as those. I'm actually going to go look up and see if the original ones of this brand came out when I was that age, and they did. <laughs> it was the exact same shoe that the enemy took from me all those years ago that completely slipped my mind that God brought back now. I wasn't praying about shoes or even believing for those shoes, but what I had forgot, God didn't forget. If you would have seen me this morning on my living room floor, I was like a little baby because I realized that I really do mean that much to the Father. That something that I would have forgot about, wasn't even saved, <laughs> He didn't forget about. How much do we actually mean to God? That's why the Apostle Paul would write and to say to know the love of God which passes understanding. can't even reason yourself into how much God loves you. It's beyond your own capacity to understand. You have to receive it in your spirit because your mind wants to fight against it. We really are loved 
that much of our Father. We're the object of His affection. When He created the earth, He created the earth for man. Everything in creation was created for us because it says in Genesis, He said, and let them have dominion, authority, responsibility over all the works of my hands, which means He can entrusted what He created into our hands. And me and Heather were talking this morning and we were just talking about how valued we are and how much, this is conversations we have throughout the week, just how valued we are. And we were having this conversation of how much God loves us. We were talking about, you know, everything in the earth and everything in heaven, there's nothing more valuable than God Himself because everything came out of God. Every star we see, every planet, the earth, our atmosphere, all the gold in the earth, all of that came out of God. God was the one who created the heavens and the earth. And God is the most valuable thing in the universe. And that God would take the most valuable thing in the universe and put it inside of you. You must be something to God. And like I say in, all, in the majority of my message, what if from the moment you were conceived... Every strategy that the enemy ever made was to rob you of that identity because your value to God. When you understand how much we're valued and loved by God, you will have self-worth. You won't live less than what He sees you to be, not what you see you to be. Because if you look at in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, God calls Moses, and Moses is given all these reasons to God why he shouldn't go. Our sufficiency has never been in what we are not. It's always been in who he is. Moses was focusing on what he wasn't, and God was trying to point Moses to who God was. It's favor. You know that in the first like 20 times of the Bible, because we think of favor, we just think, you know, well, we have favor with God. Well, what is favor? The first 20 times favor is mentioned in the Bible, it's talking about if I have found favor in your sight, then. It was always a door because if I found favor in your sight, then. Or if I found favor in your eyes, then. Well, if God the Father sees us through the Son, Jesus Christ, and we understand that our favor from God comes through Christ, then we're no longer trying to produce favor with God. We have favor with God. That's where the scripture says that we enter into his rest and we cease from our works. Amen. Because there was a lie that Adam and Eve believed from the beginning. And the lie was that God was trying to hide something from them that he knew that the moment that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would be just like God. They were already just like God. Adam and Eve, when they were created in the Garden of Eden, they didn't have the Spirit dwelling within them. God would come down in the cool of the day and he would walk and talk with them. They had the glory of God on them and God was with them, but he wasn't in them. In order for him to be in them and not just with them, they would have had to eat of a tree, and that's the tree of life. The enemy deceived them into believing that God was hiding something and they weren't as valuable, that they weren't like God, that they needed something else. 
The scripture says that if you eat of the tree of life in that fallen state, if Adam and Eve would have ate of the tree of life in that fallen state, they would have remained like that forever. Me and Heather were talking, and we know that God was always going to feed them the fruit from the tree of life so that they could live forever. But you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before the tree of life. Because if you eat of the knowledge of good and evil first, it produces a nature in you. See, if they would have ate of the tree of life and been sealed, there's nothing that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could do because it wouldn't be in their spirits. There will come a time where I, I explain that much better. <laughs> We have promises from God, promises that are supposed to shape and mold our lives into our identity. And it only comes from eating of the tree of life because Jesus came. That's what I said, the most precious substance in heaven and earth God placed inside of a man, which was himself, which gave you life. The moment that you tasted and seen that the Lord was good and that life came inside of you, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil can no longer affect your spirit because you're sealed with the Spirit of God, the one that was always supposed to give you everlasting life. God is faithful. God is funny. He's creative. He's intelligent. The most funniest person that you have ever heard God is 10 times more hilarious than that because humor and joy and laughter comes from God. It's just not perverted. <laughs> it's true joy. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, like I heard Graham Cook say, he said, you know, the Holy Spirit is so funny because he works in the church. <laughs> he works in here. So he's just so funny because he deals with us all the time. I mean, he probably has so many stories. Oh, he's so good. Yes. All right, Acts chapter 17, verse 28. I'll get into the message here. Praise God. Thank you guys for bearing with me. The more that I grow in God, the more that I feel like I know absolutely nothing. And it's true. Some people may consider themselves to be wise. I don't. I relate with Moses when he said, I'm slow in speech and tongue because... When I came to the Lord, my vocabulary was literally limited to I am group. That's it. <laughs> if you don't get that, that's fine. <laughs> it's a superhero movie, and in the superhero movie, all the guy can say is I am group. So uh, it was funny to me. That's all that mattered. I had a good laugh. <laughs> the joy of the Lord does good like a medicine. So you can laugh at me laughing, but God is amazing. Acts 17, 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being. In Him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. And then listen to what Colossians 2, 9 says, All of God lives in Christ fully, even in His life on earth. And because you belong to Christ, you are complete, having everything you need. Christ is ruler over every other power and authority. 
So in him we live, move, and have our being, and then all of God lives in Christ fully, and then it says, you have been made complete in Christ. In the King James, it says all the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. All of the Godhead dwells in Christ, and then it says that we have been made complete in Christ. We're not trying to obtain fullness. We're already full. We're not trying to get God to fill us up more. We're already filled. Once we receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that He seals us with the Spirit of promise. The Scripture doesn't say that He's going to bust open that seal to put something else in. That seal is a seal of approval. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. It's His seal that He's placed upon your life. And in order to have the Lord's seal, that means you have to have His approval. It's a stamp. And it says that this person is approved by me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Father has given us Jesus, and in Jesus we have full access to all of the Father, because all of God lives in Jesus, we are complete in Christ. We are complete in Christ. You have not only the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the Father and the Son inside you. It's mind-blowing. But Jesus said in John chapter 14 that when I go to the Father, I will send the Comforter, and He shall be with you, and not only with you, but in you. And in that same chapter, he says that if you love me, you'll keep my command. You know the command is love. If you love him, you'll keep my commandment, the commandment of love. And he said that me and my father will love you and we will come and make our abode with you, our residence with you. That's what that word means. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have access to Jesus and the father, which are both inside of you. See, we're always looking for God on the outside, but what if we stopped becoming outside focus and became more inside focus? That we were actually looking to God to speak from the inside, not the outside. Because the majority of the world is looking for God to lead them from the outside. Like we think God comes through money instead of money coming through God. If I just had more finances, then that would be God bringing me money. No, everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, you already have inside of you. And if you have a need or a lack in your life, there's a promise that's attached to having Christ. And it says that my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's the promise that's attached to you because you're in Christ. And it's not according to what you have, it's according to what He has. That's why when we think, well, if we could just earn some favor with God, we could actually get a place with Him, but your favor is not going to come from you, it's going to come from Christ. Because Christ is the one that ensured you in front of the Father, which means that when the Father looks at you, He don't see your faults, He sees Christ's perfection, because all of you is covered by all of Him. Amen. God is good. So the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. We are complete in Christ, because in Christ we have received the fullness of God. 
Our experience of God is ever increasing, not into fullness, but from fullness. We have fullness inside of us. The strength we are supposed to pull on is from the inside. But most of the time, Christians are looking for a solution from the outside. Ephesians 3.20, it says, With God's power working in us, He can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. It says, with God's power working in us. Not on us, but in us. His power is working in us. And it says that when that power is working in us, because it's the Holy Spirit, the life of God inside of us, when it's working inside of us, that God is going to do more than what our natural mind can even think. So the the scripture says that a man plans what he's going to do, but his steps are directed from the Lord. So in my planning, there's a promise that God will direct me. And his direction is always something bigger than what I plan. But we can't despise the day of small beginnings and 10 to 15 years. We will have a conference and you will say, everyone who was here in our first location stand up and there will be a handful of us that stand up in a room or auditorium that's filled with thousands of people. But you have to see it now. Because in our spirit, he's showing us stuff that our minds can't handle. Because we try to rationalize how, but our spirit is directly linked with God. And in our spirit, there's no how, there's just trust. Because what's above and beyond what we can think? It's dreaming. It's dreaming. And sometimes we need to dream with God because it's in that place of dreaming with him that we will actually discover the fullness of what he has. But we can't bring it to pass in ourselves. Because if you try to reason how to get to what only God can do, you lose focus of him. And you start chasing whether it's ministries, cars, vehicles, relationships, it doesn't matter. When all of that stuff is in God, but we start looking for God in those things and lose sight of him. Because everything that God wants to do, he wants to bring out of us. I was talking to my cousin Jesse this morning, and I said, you know what's going to set you apart from other ministries? I said, it's the same thing that's going to set ours apart. Because Mark and Val, they don't try to force anything on you. They try to draw out of you what the Lord is doing in you. And I said, most ministries that I've been in, they try to force stuff on you instead of bringing stuff out of you where deep calls out to deep. I'm not trying to force you into a a position. I'm trying to draw what God has put in you out of you. And when we start to see what God has deposited in the person next to us, We won't try to force Jesus on them. We will try to draw him out. He's in there. You've just covered him up with a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) Amen. But we're going to draw him out. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We actually work it out. We don't bring it in. We work it out. (laughs) Amen. God is faithful. And because we're complete in Christ, there comes feelings and emotions that say, well, Pastor Steve, I really don't feel complete right now. I actually feel like I'm in a wilderness. I used to hate wildernesses. 
Oh, I hated feeling in that dry place. I hated it so much. I just, it was just so dry and couldn't really feel anything until I came across these scriptures in Hosea 2.14. And this is what the Lord says. And 15, so I, the Lord, will speak romantic words to her. I will lead her into the desert. Hold on. He's speaking love words, romantic words, unto Israel, unto her, and he's going to lead her in the desert? Well, if you're in love with somebody, why would you lead them into the desert? And speak tender words. There I will give her vineyards. I will give her Acor Valley as a door of hope. Then she will answer as she did when she came out of the land of Egypt. As I read those scriptures, it dawned on me, hold on, God, you wasn't mad with the children of Israel when you delivered them out of Egypt and put them in the wilderness. Hold on, where's my mentality off? Hold on, hold on, Father. You weren't mad with Jesus when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert. You weren't mad with him. And sometimes we think that the desert place is a place away from God. The desert place is where God separates you unto himself, where you and him are intimate. There's no other voices. There's no distractions. But you know what the children of Israel couldn't do in that wilderness? They couldn't see God. They couldn't see God. That place was designed for a place of intimacy and fellowship so that they could come together in unity as one with God. And from that desert, God could take them into the land of promise. But they never got to know the heart of God in that desert. And that generation stayed in that desert for 40 years. A place that was designed for intimacy, they thought that this God that just delivered them was actually being cruel to them because all they could focus on was themselves. We have no water. We have no food. The scripture says that they said we hate this worthless bread, which the bread was a symbol of Christ, the bread that came down from heaven. They hate the provision of God. The Bible says that they grumbled against God. In their heart, they turned away from him because in their desert, they couldn't look to the promise because they took their eyes off the Father. I used to hate wildernesses. Now, as soon as I get in a dry place, I'm looking for God because I'm not trying to stay in there for years. And I understand that in this dry place that I'm in, if I can see you, there's a promise that's just right on the other side, because that's what it was for the life of Jesus. When he went through the wilderness of temptation for 40 days, on the other side, he came out in the spirit and in power. The children of Israel, if they would have kept their eyes on the Father, they would have came into the land of promise. And I tell you that when you're in the desert, there's a promise that's right in front of you if you can see God. It's true. Right in front of you. One of the best examples that I can think of is David. Because all the distractions in life are meant to take your eyes off of God and get you to put them on you or your circumstances. David is the one who said that he strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He talked to his own soul and he said, Why are you so downcast, O my soul, hope in God? Listen to what David says, actually, in Psalms 121, verse 1. 
He said, I look up to the hills where my help really comes from. My help will come from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. He will not let you fall. Your protector will not fall asleep. Israel's protector does not get tired. He never sleeps. The Lord is your protector. The Lord stands by your side, shading and protecting you. The sun cannot harm you during the day, and the moon cannot harm you at night. The Lord will protect you from every danger. He will protect your soul. The Lord will protect you as you come and go both now and forever. You see how many times protection is listed in this psalm? Listen to what David went through. David was known for seeking God always. When Saul tried to kill him, when all the armies of the Philistines were against him, when his own sins tried to destroy him, when his own son tried to kill and take the kingdom from him. These psalms, the majority of the psalms, were not written in good times. They were written in very bad times. David was known for never taking his eyes off the Lord. Even when Saul's trying to kill him, the Philistines are trying to kill him. He ends up committing adultery and killing somebody else's husband. His son tries killing him and taking the kingdom from him. Every one of those situations, David is not just focused on the situation. He's focused on the Lord. And do you know what happened to David? He died peacefully in his own bed. A man of war that shouldn't have lived. A man that a king was trying to kill shouldn't have lived. Armies of the Philistines are against you. You destroy them completely. Why? Because David realized something in Psalms 21. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. He was looking to God not only for provision and protection, but he was looking to God for salvation to save him on every level, to preserve him and keep him. David was looking to God to bring him into the promise that God promised him. He had a promise from God that he was going to be king of Israel from a child. From a child. He had to hold on to that promise for what, almost 15 years? Anywhere from 15 to 18 years? God became the main focus in David's wilderness every single time. He lifted his eyes to the hills from where his help really does come from. And when we get to trials and tests and temptations, they're not from God. They're from the enemy to stop God in your life. He can't stop God, but he can stop God in your life. But there's something about a Christian who understands their identity. That every time Satan touches you, he takes a risk of making you. Because every time he went to touch David, he risked making him. What the enemy planned to destroy him actually made him the man he was. That's how the scripture says that God takes the wiles, the works of the, the devil, and turns them out for our good and his glory. We glorify God for the work that God did 
through David. Amen? That's God's glory. What was David's good? He was preserved and kept. God says that David was the apple of his eye. Could you say to yourself that I am the apple of God's eye? Me, that I am the apple of his eye, the object of his affection. If you can't say that to yourself when you buy yourself, you have to renew your mind. Because somewhere along the line, you've believed a lie. That you were less significant to God than David was. <laughs> no way! <laughs> no way! No way! Your life in this generation is just as important as David's life in his generation. I hear people say all the time, well, I prayed for that and that changed and it was big things. And they say, well, I'm not saying it's just because I prayed, like I have that weight with God. I would say that. I would say it's just because I prayed. And it's not cockiness. It's because God loves me. And he loves you the same way. Why couldn't we ask our Father for something in heaven who has power over everything? Why couldn't we ask him to deliver a situation where thousands of people are saved and say, well, it's not just because of me. Of course, God wouldn't answer my prayer to deliver a thousand people. What kind of lie have we believed in order to embrace that thought even? Because according to Scripture, people prayed, Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain upon the earth for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and it rained. You're talking about a whole earth was affected by one man's prayer. Is Elijah more significant than you? No. Elijah had the Spirit of God on him. You have the Spirit of God in you. But somewhere along the line, Satan was able to sow a lie into our hearts that we're less significant than these other men. These other men were just men, just like us. James, John, Peter, yeah, we honor them for the work that they've done in the Lord, but they were men. They had faults. They weren't perfect. And God still called them saints. That's what I love about it. People say, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. It doesn't say to the sinners in Ephesus or to the sinners in Corinth. It doesn't say that. It says to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Corinth. Do you see what those Corinthians were doing? They're doing some crazy stuff. <laughs> God still called them saints. Why? Because he didn't see them through what they were doing. He seen them through what his son did. And what his son did was greater than what they were in. And if they could see their value in him, they would never get caught in that again. Because we're in Christ. It opens us up. We receive the fullness of who God is. And if we have the fullness of who God is, why would we want to sell ourselves for something he isn't? Because once you have the real thing, the counterfeit just doesn't match. It's like marriage. Like if you see anything that has been overexposed by the enemy, like sexuality, you know that the real thing has to have some real value because men don't counterfeit $1 bills. And he was talking about marriage. When you see an attack on something, trying to propel this falseness, whether it's intimacy, sexuality, whatever it is, the real thing must have some real value to it. 
because people don't counterfeit $1 bills. They just don't. I see the same thing, like the attack that's always been on speaking in tongues and prophecy. When you see something that, because of all the fakeness out there, people want to disregard the real. If the enemy's trying to counterfeit something that hard, then there must be some serious value to the real thing. Because you don't counterfeit $1 bills. You just don't. And when the enemy is trying to sell you a lie that robs you of your significance and identity, in God, that must tell you that you really are worth everything He paid just to get you. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just thank You. I thank You for Triumphant Grace Ministries. I thank You for this building, Lord God. I thank You that we have a roof and we're not just standing outside because I know we would if we could. <laughs> so I thank You, Father, for the opportunity to present Your Word and I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to reveal our identity and our significance. Even if we're in a desert place, that you would help us to take our eyes off of us and to look to you to see what we need to see for this next season of advancement. And we thank you for that. And we count it all joy, Lord God, just to share your word and to share who you are. We just bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.